ready. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I'll do the welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and before not to disclose, back to the interesting underground podcast. I don't know if I hit the right spot or not. Shit. Whatever. You just talk to what's it? What's his name? AJ. AJ Delario, who used to, he used to be the former editor in chief at Gawker, and also at Deadspin. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, he's at Deadspin first. Yeah. He was a writer there. And he actually reached out to me for whatever fucking reason. I don't think he actually listened to the podcast, but he emailed me. I guess I'll read his email out because what's he gonna care? Uh, it says, Hey there. So spent a few hours this weekend lurking in comment Kinja's the Gawker backlash from the commentariat and saw you had a podcast of some sort devoted to it. Obviously, I'm not the most popular. Okay, <coughs> least popular. Former Gawker media editor, but I'd be open to offering some perspective to the longtime commenters about what is happening past, present, future. Just throwing it out there. And, uh, yeah, so then I sent him your way and you talked to him. <laughs> no, you're like, so would you want to talk to AJ? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, he wants to talk to us? Yeah, like, like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, shut the front door. No way. Um, yeah, and I remember being like, I mean, a little bit suspicious of his intent. Like, what? what why does he want to talk to us? Like, what is he trying to, you know? <laughs> but honestly, I'm going to say... AJ was really nice and really honest. And that was a really good interview. Um, I He was also really patient. There were some technical difficulties, and to his credit, like, I mean, he probably does, like, more professional media tours or whatever, but... Yeah, he was just he on HuffPost nice. Live, like, yesterday. I know. And you guys should see it, because his arms are super big. Yeah. You said it made he... me wonder if him and Hamilton, like, work out <laughs> together. I don't know. Do you talk oh, about, like... One thing I wanted to say is the I ask a Gaga commenters a question at the end of all their interviews, right? And the question is, like, um, what what would you want Gawker commenters to know about you using three separate adjectives? Yeah. And um, AJ's call dropped out. I think it was my connection after he said his first word. But his words to describe himself are opaque, self-aware... Positive. Positive. Yeah. But I honestly <laughs> would agree with the last one because I guess people like pigeonhole him. And I think we all do this with each other on Gawker too, you know, but I mean, no one can be put just into like one little category so easily. I thought he was really nice. Yeah, I was I mean, scared he, of him. Yeah. And he talked to you. You guys were talking like with all the technical difficulties. It lasted two and a half hours. I did not. It did. It's eight thirty. It's eight forty right now. It ended like ten minutes ago. I know. Um, I have a dinner party to uh, get ready for. But like, what? Um, it's just funny that like you actually have a life. I guess. I don't... <laughs> only sometimes. Um, I just want you guys to. I guess like, look, the call is really long. It's long, uh, but it. I thought it was really interesting. All of it. Like AJ doesn't really ramble. He's really good. He's really articulate when he speaks out loud. He doesn't forget his like initial point because he's not like a brain damaged stoner like me. Um, <laughs> so it's quick. Like I mean, I thought it was good. If you guys should listen to all of it, whatever Rob decides to edit out, um, 
but it is it's a lot there's some gossip in there too yeah he's not afraid to talk shit i haven't heard it yet but apparently he's not afraid to talk shit which i guess is predictable of him (laughs) what are you doing oh i'm pressing share link so that i can send it to you i'm gonna send it to you via skype is that okay yeah it's fine like a lot of like good gawker gossip stuff happens towards the end of the call but aj is honest throughout the whole thing okay i'm gonna leave that in there actually because that sums us up perfectly and we'll just go to the to the conversation now and then i'll come back at the end to promote the podcast more i guess <laughs> if people want to hear okay. that <laughs> all right um i'm so sorry i would like i would continue this call with you and i'm actually like still filled with adrenaline like Okay, don't let this be part of the podcast, promise me, okay? <laughs> okay, fine, I'll cut this part out. Okay, but like, I'm kind of proud of myself because I feel like I was really nervous, you know, and I wanted to do a good job, and I'm really hard on myself, but I don't think I did a bad job this time, so I'm kind of proud of myself. You've done a good job But every don't time. let that be part of the podcast, No, 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 please. I won't, I won't, I won't, but okay, just okay. like, so, there's a pause there. So now we can talk again. <laughs> I'm leave this in, be saying next, I'm an idiot. Okay, so... Any last words before they hear the conversation? Just listen to all of it, guys. I mean, AJ dishes, and I do ask a lot of questions. So I don't know if you've got who knows how long, but it's good. If you like gossip and you like Gawker and you like learning, then it's good. <laughs> okay. Here that is terrible. No, it's fine. Here's Kittens and Unicorns and AJ Delary. What's his name? <laughs> It's Delario. It is Delario. Oh my god! Okay. Just say AJ. Just say AJ. Okay. Wait, don't. You have to edit that part. Just say I'm not. AJ. <laughs> no. This please, is going Rob. in. Here, and here's AJ Delario. The editor, um, the former editor of Gawker. Yeah, the least popular in his words. Here we go. This is AJ. Hi, AJ. This is Kittens and Unicorns. Hi, Kittens and Unicorns. Hello. Um, thank you for doing this call with us. Uh, it really threw us off guard um, that you even wrote a, Rob a message. So I guess my first question, if you don't mind, is why did you want to do with this, uh, uh, this call with us, AJ? Uh, well, because I think like everyone else, I've been following all the, the Gawker melodrama for the last 10 days, I guess, at this point. And, you know, I usually don't lurk around the commenter communities, per se, and I just wanted to get a read on what the commenters were saying about this whole entire thing. Um, you know, as a person who I know is you know, one of the more popular Gawker editors with commenters, <laughs> um, I that people would have some interesting things to say about it. Um, and then, you know, I listened to the one podcast and I listened to, you know, just some of the theories being floated around out there, et cetera, et cetera. And I just figured, you know, I could help maybe in some way. I mean, we're glad to have you on. I think, um, I think a lot of people would listen to what you have to say. So can I ask you another question? Um, do you lurk the comment section? Do I lurk the comment sections? Yeah, like you, in your message to us, you said that you had been lurking 
the comments. Oh well, I was saying I was saying in the past week because I was following all the the Gawker melodrama. I mean, obviously, it just just you know everything that's been transparent about Gawker, and then I went you know over to Clash Talk, to see what the play by play was going on over there, hmm. um, um, and then you know just spotted some things about what people were saying about it, and found it interesting, and then you know I also just remembered my time being with Gawker and my interactions with the commenters and how they were. So I, I figured in some way, you know, this would be a good time to actually get to know one another because we're both almost like on equal footing right now about what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, excited, we're excited for your insight. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess I'll just you, could, you could treat this like an ask me anything type of situation. Really? If that's helpful. Okay, let's. Now I'm just gonna go through some questions. Okay, if you had been the editor in chief when Jordan's post went up, would you have published it? Um. And I'm sorry for repeat uh, questions. Like I just think that some of the <laughs> listeners might not have seen your HuffPo Live video yesterday. I know with the visor. I love uh, that visor. Did it say Bunny Ranch? <laughs> <laughs> it did say Bunny Ranch. <laughs> yeah. Would I publish your... Well, I don't know if... I, it's, it's tough to say in terms of just like, you know, what direction I would have gone. Um, because I, I do think that it was fair game in some ways in terms of just like, you know, I understand why Max ran it. I understand why Jordan thought it was a story. I, I think the packaging made it a little difficult to almost that well i get to not have the outrage that happened around surrounding it was uh, but, really quickly uh, was the story do you know if the story was given to jordan by max or did jordan approach max with the story usually i think i mean usually a story like that seems to it seems like it generated in the tips line oh. and from and i and i actually to be honest with you i haven't read the story i mean i, I read not? about the story I, I mean, that pulled <laughs> Actually, I've read about the story, hmm. but uh, and I mean I can guess the general gist of it. But you know, from everything, it seemed it seemed like it was something that came over the tips line. It seemed like something that was looked into. I've seen just you know text messages, exchanges, and just in terms of just like the stuff that was has been screenshotted by several people. Mm -hmm. um, and I can understand why. You, as a Gawker editor, you would think that was a story that was worth publishing. And Max thought um, Jordan should publish it. Like he specifically chose Jordan. I don't think it doesn't usually work that way. But I, I don't know if that's the case. I mean, if Jordan, you know, saw that and was interested in it, or whether or not Max assigned it, I don't know. There's usually not like a formal, you know, pecking order in terms of how these things get. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's if the writer has some interest in it and does some follow-up work on it then the editor or deputy editor or whoever was in charge of overseeing it just the go-ahead for it. Um, you know, it, it was just something that it didn't seem like it was going to actually cause as much outrage as it did. Mm -hmm. And certainly didn't think it would, you know, cause Nick to actually just like pull it down. Um, so that was, that's what was very unique about the situation more than anything else. The story itself, I, I think, you know, they're, I mean, Gawker tends to publish things that I think are always questionable in the eyes of people. 
several times. I mean, historically, there have been stories that have been published that people get angry about, people think are unethical, et cetera, et cetera. You can go down the line. Um, this one in particular, I don't know if I would even rank it in the top 100 <laughs> of stories that would have caused this much of a dramatic, I guess, you know, fallout. When you posted your Hulk Hogan video and the story mm -hmm. that accompanied it, were the com was the comment section in an uproar at all? I don't remember. I remember answering a lot of questions about it. Um, but you know, the, the thing was, my, my story was almost about watching the video. Right. Anything else? Like there, I mean, there are there are there are certain times where you know, as a as an editor of a Gawker Media property. You get something, and you have this you have this gleefulness about the story that you're about to publish because you know you can publish it on Gawker and probably not anyplace else. Uh, the Hulk Hogan one was not one in particular that I, I actually thought was going to. It was not like really a top priority. Mm -hmm. um, I did see the newsworthiness in it just because I did after I was sent you know, the uh, DVD. Then I read up on, well, uh, this does exist. A couple of other publications have already talked about it. I'll watch it, and we'll approach it this way. Um, you know, we didn't do anything along the lines of exclusive, blah, blah, blah. There was, I think, maybe three or four seconds of actual sex being had. Most of the sex stuff was actually, you know, the pornographic commentary that I added to it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, there was. Uh, I, I think there were people who you know, did object to it in some ways, and other people who didn't. But uh, there definitely wasn't as much outrage over that story than there was Jordan's. Um, really quickly, uh, this was a question I thought of while you were talking. But um, while Max tweeted like the story out, Jordan's story out, and he doesn't tweet on every single Gawker story, so Max must have thought it was a big enough story to promote. Do you agree, disagree, thoughts? In terms of what, I don't, what's the particular tweet that you're talking about? Um, he just tweeted the Gawker story. Like sometimes Max will promote certain Gawker stories and he doesn't tweet out every single Gawker story. So uh, I was notified of the story when I got this like Twitter notification said Max was tweeting about this. So I clicked on it and then I read it. Yeah, I, I don't know what his motivation was for that. I mean, I, it doesn't. I don't think. I don't think there's anything more to look into it. Um, you know, maybe what, there was some internal debate that maybe was being had with Nick at that point that he was trying to make a point, but I don't know that for sure. Are you and Max Reed still friendly? We talk. I mean, we definitely talk. I mean, I talk to you know lots of people that still work there. That seems Including to be the it. case. Like you guys oh, all seem to be somewhat friendly. I mean, I guess I'm surprised with the things you've said about Denton yourself, and then you guys like still go out to have Chinese dinners together. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, it's. I mean, I think the thing is, is just there's, uh, especially about the time when you know I started working at Gawker Media full time, which was 2008, mm -hmm. which is when I took over Deadspin. Yeah, that was actually just the changing of the era where the, from where the editor in chief was ultimately just like the sole voice of the site. And there was one person running 12 posts per day. 
and they were kind of the star. There was that you know transformation, I guess, around when Gabriel Snyder came along, and then you know started to build up a staff on these blogs, and that's when I started at Deadspin. So, you know, you almost see these people from the ground up, and at a place like Gawker, which is a very unique place to work in both good and bad ways, that, um, you know, there there is a a closeness there that's probably a lot more unique than most, like, places that you would have working relationships with others that would carry over for a long period of time. Does that closeness affect certain business or editorial decisions, maybe? Um, like, were you at, I feel like Max Reed was pretty hmm. close with his group of the writers that were underneath him during his time. Um, yeah. I didn't get, like, I didn't get an impression that you weren't close with them, but I just really did with him, like, they were chummy. Do you think that has an effect on his, how he, his reign as an editor at Gawker? Well, I mean, uh... I, I, I'll, I'll say this, and I think I said this yesterday on the Huffer Show. I mean, Max probably had the toughest transition into becoming editor-in-chief of Gawker. Why? Than everyone else. Um, well, here's a guy who inherited a staff of 15 people that he was really close with, probably. I think there's around you know, 12 to 15 full-time staffers. I mean, Max started out as a night editor. Then, um, so these people are all his friends. Then he's also kind of forced to hire 10 people very, very quickly. He's also got around four more bosses at that point. It was a time when there was a managing editor in place. And you know, there was like this, you had to have you know, meetings with sales, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was, it was starting to like, grow into the mid-sized company that it still aspires to be. It probably can be considered at this point. Plus, it's working for Gawker.com, as any Gawker editor knows. Nick, at some point, still edits that site when he wants to. Um, so you, so you always have that hanging over your head. So you know, Max really had like this limited time to almost like kind of make it all his own, and also had to deal with, I guess, the, the initial transition, the initial you know, adjustment being made when you have a boss, then Gamergate, then... Uh, At the same Union, time, it was the Kinja sub-blog experiment where everybody was... I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there was, a, you know, there were a lot, and it's, it's, there were a lot of things that I think most other former ex-editors of Gawker, you would cancel a lot more jobs than most people have. Um, and yeah, he was very, very close with, like, you know, every member of that staff. But whether or not that impacts his like editorial judgment, I don't, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Um, you know, I, I do think that everyone at some point, you know, has a story that basically is going to blow up in their face that they all expected to blow up in your face, and then it becomes something that you have to deal with. But in this case, I, I mean, I, I don't really think that he was even given that shot. Nor was Tommy, especially, and. Uh, we are today. Well, I guess, okay, Jordan hasn't 
put out any statement, and I have asked like other commenters this too, like Max and Tommy like put out a stand, and Nick Denton has made several statements, but Jordan has stayed radio silent. And do you think that was the right call for him to do so? Yes. Why? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know, as far you know, Jordan, uh, I mean, I think. Still, there's no real upside or downside in Jordan actually just like you know, defending the story or distancing himself from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the reality is that you know he is going to continue to work at Gawker, and he wants to do things that I uh, think you know, people remember <laughs> a little more fondly than that, uh, just like any writer would. So, I, but I don't think it's you know records of him that basically just sat go out there and say anything about it at this point because I mean I think you know all the people that you know needed to say something that's already happened um you know Nick sent the email to Jordan and I mean that was published in terms of just like you know showing a support to Jordan that was really nice so yeah and um you know and you know I, I did the same thing you know I, I mean I, I don't think that um you know, he he's almost getting a lot of friendly fire in this case. And, you know, I mean, he's a, you know, he's a young guy, and he's, like, got, you know, a lot of going to do as a reporter. And, I mean, if he sees this as one of those moments that will make him better, then it should. Um, but it definitely is, shouldn't be something that he needs to acknowledge right away, especially at this time, because I think it'll only draw more attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, like he, like everyone else that's working at Gawker.com right now, just wants to try to get back to work and get used to the new office and get used to the new atmosphere. So I think that's the right move for him to kind of just move on as quietly as possible. Um. So, um, aside from Max and Tommy, I noticed that the people who took Denton's buyout weren't associated with Jordan's article, and that would be Leah Finnegan, Dana Evans, Katie Weaver, and William Arkin. And for me, it's a little bit hard to believe that all these writers left, like, simply because of, you know, the Denton taking down that article. So, I wanted to ask, is it possible that they left because they were already dismayed with the culture at Gawker? Uh, you know, possibly sure. I, I mean, I, you know, and, and I, th- I think uh, my recommendation, like in private to people who, you know, had buyouts offered to them or just, like, do you think you can move on from this? And if you can, great. I still think it could be a good place to work. But I don't think the, you know, in- invisible handcuffs are going to be as prominent as they seem right now. Uh, there will probably be a, a lot of cultural changes there. But, you know, if you do want to stay, I don't think it's worth kind of dwelling on this. On the other hand, I mean, if Nick's got his wallet open right now and you don't think you can actually just make whatever adjustments need to be made or you do think that you're kind of just sick of this place, two-month severance is pretty nice. And, Why would uh, writers get know, sick I mean, of Gawker? Well, I, I mean, it's just the same reason why anyone would get sick of, of any job. But I mean, I think, I think Gawker in particular, you know, is, is a place where it, it kind of consumes you so much, especially just like, you know, if you, if you have a, a very prominent role, mm-hmm. 
that it becomes so you become so tethered to it and both your online persona and your personal life tend to merge a lot, mm -hmm. um, which can be either for better or for worse. And, you know, there's, there, there are, it's, it's nice to know sometimes that, you know, there are other things that exist in the world and that there are other places to work. And sometimes you need that time to kind of step away from Gawker and just realize that, A, the place doesn't fall apart without you. <laughs> B, there are other things to do, and C, that it's a pretty unique experience. And you just have to kind of just figure out at some point that sometimes it's just the best way to kind of almost appreciate Gawker is stepping away from it for however long that is. I mean, everybody forgets. <laughs> I mean, they do. I feel like, I mean, I feel like on Gawker we have, we can only really handle one story a week. You know, like one school shooting or one movie movie theater shooting or one scandal. Right. And so, mm. um, okay, yeah. can I ask you another question? I mean, I'm going to ask you a lot. You can, ask, you, you can ask me whatever you want. You know, I volunteered, so, I mean, here I am. Uh, true or false? Okay, so this is from commenter Hudson Eileen University as seen on Law and & Order. And she wrote this on Jerry Netherland's blog. So she says... It was only when Denton's big, cool friends started writing takedown pieces, especially Glenn Greenwald, that he had his come-to-Jesus moment. True or false? Uh, false. Why? Well, because I, I, and I think I hinted about this a little bit in, uh, on, you know, on Hotel and a couple other places. I mean, Nick, uh, you know, is has found a new joy in his life, in his marriage. And so, you know, Gawker is not the only thing that, you know, brings him that joy. And I do think that, you know, the, the outrage wasn't like one particular person that did it. I just think this was enough outrage. I feel um, really quickly. I felt like the comment section was like pretty unilaterally united against that post, and they were pretty pissed off at Denton. Um, in a lot of the articles that Denton speaks on about this, he's implied that it was, you know, the outrage that it produced. But it, I just want to clarify, it wasn't because of the Gawker commenters being upset, right? Was it? It was more. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely outside outrage. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if it was Glenn Greenwald in particular. I mean, there, I, I don't think there was, you know, every every single person that was in the media who has, you know, any kind of, you know, Tom Brokaw type moments, you know, like kind of omniscient about this. I mean, had an opinion and was ready to take down Gawker. So, I, I mean, I think it was a culmination of all of that, hmm. you know, combined with the fact that, for whatever reason, you know, Nick wasn't happy with the direction that Gawker.com was going. And, you know, every single editor of Gawker.com experiences that at one point where he'll get antsy. But I think in this case in particular, I mean, this was one that he felt was more important in terms of just like actually just really moving the goalpost in terms of just like, you know, what is a Gawker story and what isn't it? If it wasn't for the Hulk Hogan case and Gamergate happening this past year, do you think Denton would have been less motivated to take that post down? Great question. Um, wow. 
Well, thanks. I'm, I, I'm so sure glad. that I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure that I'm sure that they absolutely had an effect on it, but not for the particular reason in terms of just. I both those situations were so traumatizing in their own ways in terms of just work stress wise and real life stress wise mm-hmm. that I think that you know maybe this was a tipping point because of all those things combined. Mm-hmm. But you know I don't think it had any it would have had anything to do with just like you know, the content of Jordan's piece versus those two situations happening. I think it was more just a combination of all those things happening at once. I hear that. Um, I, I think like the New York Times piece about Denton, it's the one where he smokes a joint, is the one where he starts off saying like, I can feel a revolution coming, but I just don't think that mm-hmm. he expected it to be coming from within, I guess. Or did he? <laughs> uh, okay, next right. question then. Does Denton hate the Gawker commentariat? Uh, I don't, I think, I think he's pretty much indifferent. You know, I, I mean, I think that as I, as I would say that you know most people that have worked at Gawker for a while are, um, you know I think that you know what his what his what you guys consider the commentary right now is ultimately something that no longer exists in his mind, just because I mean obviously I mean what Kinger was supposed to do was almost like like I guess broaden that a little bit, mm-hmm. you know and. I don't know if it's too early or too late to judge the success on that, but I mean, I'm sure. Do the do, do Denton and the writers just tolerate the commentariat? Do you guys think that it really does have value, and does the commentariat bring value to Gawker? Uh, you know, it's a they're they're different eras. I mean, I think that you know there are a lot. Uh, like, especially when, you know, I first started Dead Spin, I guess it was still kind of just like a little bit of a holdover from that initial era where it was vital. It was in terms of just, especially, you know, starting on Dead Spin, I mean, Dead Spin commenters and, you know, especially with Will, and they kind of ripped off one another. I mean, that, there was that type of relationship. It was, almost, it was very symbiotic. As, the sites grew and as the sites, you know, started to become more and more grown up, you know, and I'm putting that in smart quotes, but, you know, I think it became one of those situations where, yeah, I mean, as an editor, once, you know, a writer leaves and then there's backlash, (laughs) the person leaves. Um, And ultimately, you know, when I, when I was at Gawker, I mean, obviously I, I was the canary in the coal mine for Kendra knowing full well that it was probably not going to be received very favorably. By whom? Um, <laughs> the, the commenters. Okay. And, and, also, and also knowing that just, you know, when there was this directive for writers to kind of interact more with the commenters, that, you know, it was one of those things that was going to be an adjustment period. Because, you know, there are... There are worthwhile conversations that happen. There are fun things that happen. Um, you know, I can honestly say that probably one of the more <laughs> like fun blogging days of my life was the two times I guest edited Jezebel because I mean, that was essentially just you know, me interacting with the commenters all day. As you had fun commenting. Grew, what's that? You're saying you had fun commenting all day. 
I, I no, I had fun. I had fun. I was editing Jezebel, and I had fun interacting with the comics. Okay. Um, you know that. Can I ask you something? I, you had fun with them, with the commenters, right? Engaging them. Is that what you were doing yeah. with the what is a post post? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I, I yeah. Because I mean, it's like, and, and and the reality was, I knew that there was going to be backlash about the D star and backlash about the new system, all this stuff. So I knew the people that were going to be the most vocal about it would, this, this was a way of ultimately saying just like, this is about to come. And yeah, it was a total fair trap. Probably not the most civilized way of doing it, but in terms of just like, you know, actually trying to take care of one problem and then also just, you know, run the site and have all the writers kind of adjust the same way. That was the way I figured I would do it. And How it was much also money would like it cost a, to have a moderator to moderate the comment section? It, I mean, we've had several single, we've had that several times. Mm-hmm. It's just also that I mean, I'm sure you've noticed that in Kinja is almost like kind of like this real time work in progress, yeah. always, mm-hmm. and that you know the shifts in direction and the shifts in the shifts in programming. I mean, are ones that you know you're ultimately. Like most of the editors and writers almost get the first get one drive through with him as the commenters do. So we're almost all experiencing it together and trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of just, you know, what commenters represent in terms of just like, you know, Gawker editors' minds, it's a lot of different sites that I mean, have a lot of different interactions. I mean, I think that, you know, io9 has a different relationship with their commenters. It's been as a different relationship with their comments. Gawker, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say as Gawker Jezebel is probably kind of like, I guess, <laughs> they are, they, they're the most at odds with each other over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's, that's not born out of anything in terms of just like, you know, contempt that people have for, obviously, real human beings. Like my my whole thing was, and, and believe me, I like you know, lashed out at people on email, you know, commenters that have emailed me in. But I'm responding almost to, I'm almost taking out all my rage on one person that I've heard from 50 throughout the day, and it's always almost like a release. But I don't think I'm right, and I never feel great about it. <laughs> and so bizarre, yeah. and it almost always makes me feel like crap. Oh, that's so, nice. I mean, I think people would be surprised to hear that. Um, that you yeah, felt bad. Because, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, there's, I mean, there's absolutely no... There is a thing, too. I mean, I've been doing this long enough in terms of just, like, you know, working in this industry where it's starting out as, you know, I even hate using the word as a blogger, remembering what mainstream media used to think of people who blogged. Right. And called them nuisances. And called them like basically people that were insignificant, unprofessional, et cetera, et cetera. So I know that that's not true. And I also know that it's probably better at this time, especially just like in really in the age of social media. I think social media trends is like almost like will in the commentary, and I think a little more than almost like you know Gawker has at this point, to be perfectly honest with you. But I mean, just like you know, knowing that you know they're there are people who are going to be, you know, both whatever makes people good or bad. I mean, there's something that people are just like, actually just like emotionally attached to both positively and negatively. Mm-hmm. 
and you have to process that. And sometimes it's tough to think of that and remember that. But, you know, for the most part, the best move is to almost just like ignore it and move on or to kind of just like, you know, try to respond as best you can and move on. And, um, you know, sometimes people who comment are a lot more antagonistic and I think just want to kind of just absolutely antagonize more than have a question answered. And but why do you guys respond to those people then? Because there, there are commenters who don't antagonize, who will criticize, but... I, I, I mean, because I think it's... A, there, there's a, I mean, like, it's... Like, seeing you die, I mean, it's, a, it's it's absolutely just, like, it's there's nothing uniform across the board in terms of just, like, you know, how each writer, editor interacts with commenters. Um, you know, it, it's, it's... Everybody is still, at the end of the day a human being and I'll use rich for, as an example, you know, who, I mean, as you know, when, when I was working with him at Gawker and he's doing all these personal essays and then just like, you know, being told and guys pouring his heart out basically, you know, and exposing himself to the world. And then to kind of just be torn apart. Sometimes it gets frustrating. Sometimes he overreacts. Sometimes he takes it too seriously. Sometimes the commenters take it too seriously, but I, you know, there is not, one kind of there's not an equal kind of just like you know emotional kind of level that everybody's on at all times and i think that's why initially you know some of the original kind of commenting errors worked a lot better than they do now which commenting errors specifically are you talking about <laughs> well i was always i i mean for me and, and you know you i was the star always system. I think it was at the tail end of it, oh. but I mean, just like I mean, in my experience, like I, I usually had you know, good experiences with Deadspin, sometimes I had bad experiences with Deadspin. And believe me, I mean, I did, I blow towards the Deadspin commenters almost in like a more awful way than I did the Gawker commenters. Um, and that was uh, that was done because I mean, it was it was ultimately one of these things when you know sometimes there is for you know for a group of commenters. There's a sense of entitlement, I guess, about the site in terms of just like the direction it goes, right? Which is often not helpful for a new writers, <laughs> old writers, especially just new editors. And like um, you know, what seems like you know, kind of just like something that's a day for, or just a like one comment, you know, for you guys, sometimes turns into a very traumatic experience for a writer for a month. You know, any examples? I mean, I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, I think it's you know, here's here's actually a good example because I think it's almost just equally as damaging in some ways for a writer to be overly praised. Richard Lawson, Katie Weaver. I mean, just because I mean, it almost kind of just like it it becomes restrictive. And I didn't work with Richard directly, but you know, I you know, I hired Katie. And how would you know, praise become restrictive? Because then there's almost like this other pressure, this added pressure in terms of just like, you know, that, I mean, what is not really a kind of a part of your job. Remember, just like, I mean, you know, Gawker writers and editors aren't really judged by whether or not the commenters love them or hate them at all. Right. That like has nothing to do with it. But, you know, in terms of just like the actual, just like, the emotions that are involved in it, and to just like, okay, well, 
you know, Katie does something great, and like, what if she has like an off day, and then something, you know, somebody says, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't as good as usual stuff. I mean, she's it was twenty three at the time. It was her first job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she had you know, most of the time, I mean, she had you know five stars across the board from most commerce. But I mean, it was also just a little, I think, disorienting in terms of just like that being her first job to always be kind of just like told she's the greatest things in the world all the time too. It's tough to sometimes grow out of that. Oh, I see what you and mean. It, you know, to, it's, uh, it might be harder to become self-aware if you're given so much praise. So well, it's, a, it's a tough And when I, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before too, it, like, you know, when anybody leaves Docker, you realize just how big of a stage it was. I mean, any place else you go, you are not going to have the types of interaction with the public that you do any place else. It's very, very rare. I mean, sometimes it happens, but I mean, more often than not, it doesn't. I mean, if you like, take for example, I mean, Richard Lawson is a good example. I mean, it's not like when he left Gawker, everybody flocked over to Vanity Fair or first when he was at the Atlantic and reads what he does every single day. Right. So, I mean, and that's just because, I mean, just, you know, that's, the space you guys inhabit, I mean, that's your space. Um, most of the time, I mean, Docker writers are just visiting there, you know? <laughs> and so it's it's one of those things that ultimately just like a bad experience. I mean, I, yeah, thank God it's over. Um, if you so you wouldn't one, come back to Gawker? What's that? You wouldn't come back? Like if you were offered in the future to come back as an editor? Oh, no, no, never at all. No. Never at all, okay. No. Um, but no, because, well, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, I have to kind of just put it in perspective. I mean, I just, you know, I left Gawker, like, on very good terms with the whole entire team intact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, left and basically just, like, you know, was able to kind of you know, shepherd in, like, you know, the next, well, you know, executive editorship that unfortunately just walked out the door last Friday. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of the relationship I've always maintained with Gawker, even when I was not working there. So, I mean, it's a lot more fun kind of owning your own company. <laughs> it's kind of just like go back and just, you know, work at Gawker. Um, can I ask you about a rumor? Sorry, I always ask if I can ask a question, but it's just a polite thing. But um, I heard a rumor that when Max and Tommy quit, Nick Denton personally went to each of their homes or like their apartments to plead with them to stay. Can you confirm or deny? Um, I don't know if that's particularly true. I mean, I know he did, I know he did talk to sit them. down with both of them and they said, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think he was trying to just get them to basically just understand that, you know, he wasn't, that he did want them to stay, but that, you know, there were, there needed to be a different way of handling things. Um, I don't know if that was, it was obviously not successful, but, um, you know, I think that, you know, whatever was going to, like, happen was going to happen inevitably. I mean, I think that, you know, the new generation of whoever, whatever Gawker becomes at this point, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was already set in stone. It would it probably been tough to convince, you know, Tommy and Max, who were hired to do the things that they do best, and, you know, that's kind of hard to quantify in a lot of ways, unless you've, like, worked with them directly, but I have. But, I mean, you know, those are 
just, you know, two of the most talented people that that place will ever see. But, you know, in terms of just, you know, why they were there and then almost like having to kind of shift gears and then convince all the writers that they've been working with also shift gears, it's, I think there's a little bit of trust that was broken there. And, between whom? You know, between Max, Tommy, and Nick. Mm. So I, I think that was kind of irreparable. Um, Yikes. I say yikes only because it seems like everybody that has left Gawker um, seems to be on civil terms with Denton, and I guess you seem to imply that it's not that. Well, I think it's... I mean, civil is a tough word to, even, to apply to Nick in any type of... <laughs> unless you're, I, I, have a, I have a very, very close personal relationship with Nick. And a um, very, you know, close professional relationship with him on some levels as well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for every single person that has a good, there, there's usually no kind of <laughs> experience where the takeaway is almost just like, oh, yeah, he seems like a nice guy. You know, he seems, yeah, he seems like a good guy. Uh, and it's either like you have, you have a very violent reaction to him in some ways. I mean, it's almost like there's like, if it's the equivalent of sometimes when you have tried to get, make an organ donation, sometimes it just doesn't take. I mean, those are a lot of the experiences that people have had with Nick working for him over the years. Um, and, you know, and I can understand that. I mean, it's just like, you know, there's, I can, and Nick doesn't really make that much of an effort to repair those relationships that have sometimes gone sour. Speaking of, um, speaking on that, Joel Johnson, in the comment mm-hmm. section under the Gawker Unionizing post, wrote, yeah. did you see his comment to Nick Denton? I did see that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was. So a quote that I pulled out from there is, he said about Denton that Denton is fundamentally pessimistic about trusting other people. What do you think he means, and do you agree? Uh, I, I, you know, that was a very, very long post. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I, I will say, I will say that just like you know, as a, as a person who just like you know, it's also just like not a personal friend or Joel in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I think that a lot of stuff that he made in that comment was very, very fair and accurate. It was fair and accurate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, but... and, and I think that, but I, no, I, I just think oh. that, I mean, you know, the way I think Joel got, you know, he, he was put in a really unwinnable situation. And Joel's also a guy that, I mean, has worked with Nick for years and is probably, you know, knows the way the guy's wired better than most people have. And it still backfired. And, you know, I think that, you know, Nick, really, really, absolutely just, like, you know, adores Joel as a person and, like, just adores his brain. And, you know, those are the types of things that Nick's always had trouble kind of fixing in terms of just, like, making people, you know, having those types of personal relationships with people and then having them overlap at work. And if he feels like it's not working out, he tends to kind of absolutely just, you know, just absolutely, you know, just, pull that shotgun and shoots him in the face. Um, mm. you know? I mean, there's, uh, there, there's, 
as much as it seems like, you know, that makes like really diabolical and always kind of like plotting behind the scenes, a lot of his decision-making is done, you know, for better or for worse, very instantaneously. And I think, you know, he follows his intuition, and if he feels like there's a twinge of something that's going wrong and that needs to be fixed, and he doesn't like to let it fester. And sometimes, I mean, that comes at the expense of personal relationships with people that he really respects and admires. So you're close with Denton and you've mentioned that. And I mean, I get the impression that he does either like and respect you or like or respect you, right? Uh, why do you think that is? Who? You. Why do you think Denton likes and or respects you? I, I, who you guys knows? are in a legal <laughs> trial together. I would think that that might create some um, hostility maybe. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been, you know, it hasn't, this is, it's been a very kind of, you know, unique situation. I mean, for both of us, I mean, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a case that, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, it's groundbreaking. Um, and obviously we can't talk a lot about it too, which is also frustrating, I think, for both of us. I mean, and, you know, Nick's you know, finally began talking about it a few months ago. I released like about a month ago. We've known about this trial since like February, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and it's been this one set of just like you know bad news after the other. Once you know, I haven't worked for this company in three years, and every three months, you know, I will get a call and basically just like say they're just like, yeah, we had a bad day in court, still going on. It uh, seems like it's looking you know, up for you guys, just, though. Uh, who knows? I mean, it's, it's really, it is, and I really, and I really just like, I mean, say that without trying to be dismissive or just like you trying to protect myself from anything at this point. But, um, you know, there's just been so much other kind of activity that's been going on in the last 10 days mm-hmm. that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that just like, you know, the, the stuff that I, I personally always felt that just like, you know, I was really confident in terms of just like, you know, where we were in terms of just like, you know, legal standing on this case. There is a judge that disagreed with our lawyers for most of the time. Surprisingly so. I mean, just like you know, remember that this was you know knocked out of federal court like you know a couple times. Um, Florida is a different and lovely place. Uh, it depends <laughs> where you're at, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, I'll, just leave, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um. On to okay. So on to the, another question. I'm just jumping around. Um. Oh, this is a question that I've loved to ask you because it's like a theory that is constantly floated in the comment section. And it's that there are people, there's a belief that the Gawker writers either like have paid somebody to be a troll and troll the comment section or that one of the Gawker writers is the troll in the comment section and that trolls and the fight threads that that ensue with them create more traffic how much truth is there in that I, that's absolutely false that's some tinfoil hat stuff yeah i mean <laughs> there really is um yeah i could i mean for the most part i mean just like you know, nobody really has like you know the time or energy to kind of just like absolutely just like you know beat that combative mm-hmm. and to be perfectly honest with you too i mean just like you know none of the commenting activity actually just like really results in kind of any sort of 
financial gain for the company. It doesn't really help or hurt either way. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's just, you know, that's not one of the things that people would take the time to kind of just like, you know, stir up fights unless they were sociopaths. You know. Do you think, so Denton, the, well, I want to talk to you about the future of Gawker too. There's just so much, but um, he said he wants to be like 20% nicer or like 10, 15% nicer, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Another theory, I guess a worry in like from the commentariat is that Denton might change the commenting section to make everyone sign in through Facebook. What do you think it's, what do you um, think it's possible? You know, that, that I, that I have no real, I mean, because I, I, I don't even know where Kinder stands at this point. So, I mean, I don't know if that uh, has even been, like, considered in some ways. I mean, it there's really, so many other... It really, mentioning these, like, Facebook, the social positivity, um, I guess, theme that oh, permeates right. these kind of platforms. And so it seems to be, I don't know, he does mention Facebook and, like, the algorithm. He says he doesn't want to follow it, but then he talks about, like, wanting, being influenced by their, like, social positivity message. Um, again, I mean, just like, you know, there, there are a lot of just, just, you know, these top level things that are just like, kind of just absolutely just like, you know, right in front of the company right now mm -hmm. that well, ultimately I don't know about in terms of just like, you know, where the community will sit in terms of just like whatever iteration of Gawker comes in the next six months to a year. But, um, you know, I, it's just not something that's, you know, I've heard actively discussed it. Do you think the writers and Denton care a little bit or like a little bit proud that their website does have the best commenting um, section? Maybe I'm a little biased. Or do they like not give a fuck at all? Like just tolerate us? I, it depends. It depends on the person. It really depends on the person. Like I said, I mean, just like, you know, there are some writers that have had positive experience with the commenters, others that have not. Um, you know, and I think that also can like shift from day to day. I mean, I've had both good and bad experiences. Um, but you know, I, I think that for the most part, I mean, you know, there's been these different shifts in terms of just like directives, you know, when you're working at Gawker in terms of just like, you know, what your level of interaction with the commenters needs to be. Mm -hmm. So, and for the most part, I would say that most writers don't, most writers just want to write and, do their story and then you know hope that the story does well. So most writers don't but want to become editors. No, not at all. Isn't there more security in becoming a manager, like a management position or an editor versus a writer? No, not at all. Oh, there's probably less. There's probably less. <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you know. Remember, just like if we're not talking about a very orthodox you know, type of company right. and there's no real linear path in terms of just like, you know, time served doesn't equal kind of, you, you don't naturally, there's usually, there's, there's rarely an heir apparent that exists at a site. I mean, gawkers.com has been very, very unique in that way in terms of just, you know, before me, it was, John, and then, you know, after John, it was Max, and now it will be, it's Leah for however long she plans on staying there, but, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's not, every person that, like, you know, usually comes to Gawker 
I mean, wants to come there to be a writer first, because I mean, like the autonomy of that you get working at Gawker Media. I mean, that's the thing that you don't get anyplace else. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of emotional ups and downs that are making almost seem like an abusive relationship sometimes. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that's you know, anytime when I've been you know recruiting people to work there, work there, or you know, try to get people to write for me. It's because, you know, I usually tell them just like, you know, just here, give me a list of the stories that you've always wanted to do, and then let's try to make them happen. And that's it. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you now, so how are the writers paid? Because in the New York Times, in that moment of truth where Denton smokes a joint article, um, it uh-huh. stated that Tommy Craig's changed the bonus structure in that before writers were awarded for clicks, but now they are rewarded based on what editors judge to be the quality of their posts. That's pretty vague to me. Can you explain that? Yeah. I mean, that was actually something that I, I was really put in place during the time period when Tommy and I worked together at Deadspin. And, you know, we always wanted to, when we would hit, like the way, and I don't even know, I'm not quite certain about how the bonus system works exactly right now, but when I was there, it was usually, you know, each site had like, you know, a monthly unique visitor number that, you know, would they need to hit. And then like the next month, it would be 10% over that. And if you got that 10% over that, whatever your editorial budget was, you get... 10 to 20% of that as bonus that you can distribute however way you want to. Oh. Most, most editors, you know, used to just base it off of people who got the most traffic, um, which was kind of inherently unfair because, I mean, some people are better at getting, you know, because, I mean, if you get something that you know, goes viral, which oftentimes is very you know, circumstantial and accidental a lot of times, um, you know, that doesn't actually just like, I don't think people need to be rewarded for that. Right. I think that, so, and take for example, just when, you know, I, I hired Nitsan for the very reasons basically almost like eliminate that system altogether. Nitsan was basically there so we could hit the bonus every month. I capped Nitsan's bonus oh. at a certain number just because, just because I knew he was going to hit it. Right. But like I hired, I hired Nissan ultimately just like so that every other writer didn't have to worry about traffic, and then they could actually do the things that they wanted to do best. Like, Is that, that system still in place thing. now? I mean, I think I think that there are different. I mean, you know, I think that's almost the methodology behind it, and that's the thinking behind it. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you know, when I started at Deadspin, I mean, hiring Tommy Craig was not a great hire for like being a Docker blog at that time. I mean, he's an unbelievable writer. He's an unbelievable thinker. I mean, he's just, he's everything. What he's not is a guy that's going to kind of generate a lot of traffic for your site. So I had to think of almost a system in terms of just like, okay, now I'm treating traffic as almost like the business part of it in terms of just like, I have to find some traffic that basically my reward is Tommy Craig's. So I think that is ultimately just like, you know, almost, you know, the system that was in place that he put in place. That's almost like kind of like a complete evolution of where that idea came from. Okay. Just in terms of just like, you know, so there are people who, 
you do spend two months on a story, and if it tanks, you can still absolutely just like you know pay them because you just like thought the quality of the work was so good, even though it may have may have not generated the reception or like the positive reaction that you thought it did. You're just there to basically just like say to the writer, well, I love this. You did exactly what you know I thought was expected of you. The site did well for this month. Here's some more money. Oh, interesting. I think that most people thought people were paid per post. Like, no. Um, okay. No, that hasn't been in place for a decade, probably. I wish that commenters would stop bringing it up now. I hope that we can finally put it to rest. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's yeah. See. No, I mean, there's, I mean there's, there's, there's really no, in terms of just, like, I mean, I mean, Gawker is designed in a way, ultimately, just like where I think in terms of just like, you know, you should treat site leads are almost the better site leads at this point um, almost act like publishers instead of traditional editors. So you're actually thinking of basically just like, and that's a, that was just like my perspective the whole time was basically just like, how do I get you know this site, the real estate that you know this site provides for these writers, how do I get that to work for them the best? And I just figure out ways of basically just like doing that. I mean, I think that. You know, the one thing, and I, I know, I can understand completely why you know, most of the commenters just, like, hated Nikon. I get it. But the reality is, I mean, without Nikon, we really had no Adrian Chen in the year that he had that year that I was there. I mean, you know, we really had, like, a lot of, like, the longer-form stuff was basically just, like, you know, they, those writers were allowed to do that because Nikon was there. And the other writers didn't have to worry about their traffic quotas. And I think that's a, that was a really great strategy. I mean, I think one of the first times I got to Gakko might have been a Neatson story. And then <laughs> you just, you're like, oh, this is funny. And you click the other stuff. And then I liked that it was inter- like random internet stories were interspersed with more long form real news. Um, do you think it's still like that at Gakko? Like the well, I mean, quality I think of the, the goal. I mean, I, th- I, you know, I think it's, it's become a lot tougher because, I mean, it's just like, you know, there were... You know, there's a, there are a lot of different, I mean, social media algorithms that are out there that compete with. I mean, it's just like, you know, things are just like changing constantly. I mean, it's also like, you know, remember that, I mean, you know, even Gawker.com itself in terms of, and that's why, well, you know, when we first started Rad or Kinja, I mean, I saw just like exactly just like, that, you know, how that distribution model has basically been completely decimated by social media. Because it's like, I mean, Kinja, the sub-blogs usually only work unless one of the main blogs, like, links to them, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the fire hose of traffic it used to be five years ago, because most of the front-page traffic on a lot of the main sites is now coming from Facebook or Reddit or some other place. So, like, the real Docker audience is almost, you know, I think it's still trying to figure out, like, people have to kind of just, like, and, and every kind of media publisher is almost like struggling to find this and figure out exactly just like, you know, who their audience is right now. So I guess what you're trying and to say is Gawker's trying to figure it. out if their audience should be more like, should they create more Facebook friendly posts? I don't, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that there, there are different strategies that work for different sites and it's just, just like in a different editors. But I mean, just like in each editor of every site, has a different vision for how they think it could work. Um, so there, there's uh, everyone's always trying to kind of figure out that problem personally. 
as opposed to just liking something uniformly. Um, you know, more often than not, I mean, it's, I'm always, uh, I, I never like to play catch up with anybody in terms of just like, okay, well, if they're doing this, we have to do more of these types of posts. I try to kind of just like, well, you know, find, figure out what that problem is. And it's like, you know, instead of basically just like making 12 people do stories about you know, things that are popular on Facebook or making listicles, I hire one guy who basically knows how to do it all by himself. Mm-hmm. And then I can focus on the things that I like to do. Um, and I think there are different kind of variations of that. I mean, BuzzFeed essentially does that itself as a company. I mean, you know, BuzzFeed News, I mean, is a fully operational news organization. I mean, that is a large media company. It's really, it sucks that just like, you know, ultimately people who don't look hard enough kind of just consider it a place as, you know, a B-Cat video place, though. But it's not. I mean, it's a, very, very powerful and very well-run media company. Um, they did it a way that is you know, different than Bites is doing it their way. Gawker, obviously, I mean, has also been doing it ways that have been completely counterintuitive to the way everyone else has been doing it. But, you know, the one thing that stands out between all those companies is that they're each run by people who had like a vision that was ultimately just like wasn't guaranteed to work, but it was guaranteed to kind of just like put them someplace there. Okay, in your Huffington Post video, uh, you talked about the future of Gawker, and you specifically said that you think Nick Denton wants Gawker to implode. Why? Well, well, I said Gawker.com. Okay, Gawker.com. Yeah, specifically Gawker.com. I mean, which it did, and by implode I meant just that he didn't like the direction the site was going, didn't like the way it was being run by Max and Tommy. So, you know, that his posts and, you know, the way he did it, that was that was his way of kind of just you know, making a move. And then if they weren't going to uh, abide by that, which I'm pretty sure he knew they weren't, then this, you know, it gives him the opportunity to kind of rebuild Gawker in whatever way he sees fit for the future. But you said that this happens every time, like, an editor leaves. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think, um, I mean, prior to me, um, you know, Remy was fired quite hastily. Gabriel Snyder was fired pretty, in a pretty sloppy manner. Um, you know, you had... Before Gabriel, if you remember, you know, Nick was the editor. Before that, that was when, you know, Emily and Alex and Corey and, you know, Emily quit in the middle of a magazine article. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there, there's, always, there's always some sort of just you know, melodramatic fashion that, you know, Gawker goes through a reboot, whether it happens kind of, you know, Either and most of it happens online as well. I mean, that's part of the whole radical transparency thing. I mean, I think Nick loves spectacles. I mean, I can't say that I don't. I mean, you know, I like spectacles as well. But even when you're involved uh, in them, um, yeah. Well, I think there's yes and no. Do you like? I mean, do you like? Does Nick like the spectacle because he knows it's still a story? I don't think in this particular case that's that's what's at play here. I absolutely think that Nick is is doing you know the rounds 
I think this is, you know, I think this is the last time, you know, hopefully <laughs> we'll see this much of Nick Denton in the news, um, you know, outside of the Hogan trial. But I mean, I, I mean, I think there, there is a recalibration that's happening right now in terms of just like, you know, what the image that he's trying to project for the company. Um, and, you know, that probably falls in line with just like you know, where he sits right now, you know, personally. And I think he's just trying as best as he possibly can, you know, to be a more positive person. And, you know, I mean, I think the, the change from just like, you know, his title to gossip merchant to whatever, it's like independent journalist as his Twitter handle. Um, I mean, I think that's what he'd like to be known for. And, you know, I, I think that you know, whatever the gauge for whatever there, whatever the, there was never really a line in Gawker before, but now there is one definitively. Not saying that that's a good or bad thing, but I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I think he, he's drawn a line. What's the line? It's still vague. Like, I mean, I've, he's talked about the changing ethos at Gawker a few times, but he never really specified what. He just said it's changing. I just, I mean, I, and it's, it's really hard to almost articulate just because it, the thing is, the, uh, if we're talking about Jordan's story in particular, which is kind of just like, you know, what started all this, I think that, you know, that passes all of the Gawker smell test for the past decade. And especially from the vantage point of, of Nick, um, you know, and now it doesn't. So how people go about kind of approaching stories that are, you know, may seem salacious or may seem slimy or may seem ethically flawed or whatever other kind of, you know, negative connotation you want to attach to a Gawker story that causes outrage. Nick, I think, is just saying that he wants them to be for the greater good at this point. And, you know, for what his defin what his definition of that is, uh, as may has changed a little bit, at least publicly, and definitely internally, and that's why, you know, Tommy and Max are no longer there. Um, Shouldn't he have stipulated but, all this change that he wanted to happen, like, for the company, maybe when he thought of it, though? I mean, to say well, after, in retrospect, after the post went to shit, you know, that he, that he, it wasn't their fault because he wanted Gawker to change, but he hadn't told them yet? <laughs> I mean, these are these are all rational questions that I mean, I mean, I think you know, kind of deserve a a an answer. Um, but at at the same time, you know, this is where every I think anyone that's ever dealt with Nick before almost sees this as both, you know, very typical behavior, but also almost like completely counterintuitive. Um, so, I I where this ends up three months from now in terms of just what the ethos is. I mean, I, I'm as curious as everybody else, but I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, it more has to do with in terms of just, you know, what he thought the editorial leadership that was there at the time was not abiding by some sort of kind of just like, you know, unwritten rule that was basically just like put in place that I think both his interpretation of it and Max and Tommy's interpretation of it were two completely different things. Um, but 
the end result is that, you know, Nick Denton's the owner of the company, so he's got final say. Um, in that same video, so in the Huffington Post video, uh, when you're talking about Denton and having battles with Denton, you said sometimes you win and sometimes you lose, but sometimes when you lose, you lose your job. And yeah. then you gave this really wry smile. And I felt like there was something more to that, like your smile when you said, and sometimes you lose your job. It couldn't, was it at all in reference to like when you left? It seemed a little No, 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 okay. not at all. I mean, okay. I, you know, I mean, I, there was absolutely, I'd like, I don't think, you know, I, there, I have no clue as to just like, you know, if I stayed another year, whether or not I would have been fired or not. But, you know, at the time going into my, you know, annual review with Nick, um, you know, he and I had been kind of just like at odds over a couple of things, mm -hmm. more so than we usually had in terms of just like, you know, the extent of our relationship, which had been going on about four or five years. Okay. And where he was you know, absolutely in my corner on a lot of things that I, you know, I don't think anybody else in the planet would have been in my corner on. Um, but, you know, I started to, you know, it started to kind of unravel a little bit during Hurricane Sandy, which, you know, if you remember at all, I mean, Gawker was <laughs> inoperable. I mean, we were operating off a tumbler. And I, that infuriated me how he was handling that. And, you know, I didn't like the fact that he was basically trying to kind of just like, you know, make Gawker seem like this resilient blog company when ultimately just like forgetting the fact that, you know, well, I mean, kind of a lot of people that work at Gawker don't have electricity right now. Right. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's your fault that the thing you didn't pay the extra money to have the thing six inches above ground that, you know, it doesn't go underwater, but I'm not going to make these people work on Tumblr. And, you know, and the posts that we did do on Tumblr that week, I mean, were very, very tiny. I mean, we're very, very kind of just self-referential, but that was very frustrating. Um, and then we had, you know, some squabbles over something else, or something minor. It was something, you know, I, I think it, one of them was the um, coverage given to, oh God, I believe Sandy Hook in terms of just the way that we were covering that. Um, you know, I, I, after, I mean, cause I, I mean, if you remember during that time period, I mean, it was just like, you know, three months after I mean the Colorado shooting and anybody that was trying to cover that live, it was just riddled with mistakes. I mean, just, I mean, that was kind of just, you know, up and down. I mean, everybody was getting things wrong. Right. So I had said that just like, okay, well, why don't we just like, just, you know, sideline this thing so we don't fuck up again. But then we got pushed into it and just like, you know, once you know, I think the ID the wrong shooter initially and then we went with that. And you know, I said to Max Reed at the time, I'm like, you know, just own up to this, but let's just let's like talk about why all these mistakes are happening right now. Why all these mistakes are happening basically, especially just in media coverage. And let's just like treat it from that angle. I mean, I understand it was just like, you know, the tabloid aspect of this, all this, but we have to find our own way of basically telling a different story about this other story that everyone's covering and everyone's interested in. And 
I actually put Max in charge of doing that that weekend, and he handled it brilliantly. Um, and during that time, it was we had our Gawker holiday party that night. I'm giving you guys so much inside information, but oh, thank um, you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but like during that, it was like you know that Tenny hook happened like the day of our Gawker holiday party, and you know at the time. Max Reed had actually, I think, come to me about three weeks prior to that and said, you know, I really want to you know, be an editor. And, I mean, you know, there, there are people who, I, there, there's no kind of, like, careerist, careerism involved in him. There wasn't any kind of, I want to be paid more. You know, it was just something that he generally thought he could do. And I absolutely 100% believed him. I mean, he's just like, you know, that talented guy. And, you know, was doing wonderful work for both me and Emma. And we were basically, we had a news editor slot opened, and I wanted Max to have that job. Nick disagreed with me. <laughs> and that became a point of contention between us. Mm. So when it comes time to basically just like, you know, you budget into this, like, you know, when you're, you know, asking people for raises, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have to write this memo in terms of just like kind of outlining what you're going to do for the year. I was lobbying really, really hard for Max to get the news editor job. And I, you know, wanted to kind of prove that point to ultimately just like I was like, you know, everybody else booted the Sandy Hook coverage. But I mean, you know, this kid absolutely just like killed it that weekend. I mean, he did everything that I think a internet operation just basically with the amount of resources that Gawker had and plus also the amount of kind of just like, you know, I guess at least just like the stature of Gawker could hope for. I mean, he found like these other kind of just like, you know, subplots of the story and gave Gawker its own kind of version of it. So go to the holiday party that night and we had to do annual reviews and I was pissed at Nick, and I took Max outside during the holiday party. I'm saying, like, look, we're going to do our review right here, right now. You're the news editor. I don't care what he says. You're the news editor no matter what. Wow. I mean, and I think I did John Cook's review that night, too. I said, look, I'm mean, just like, you know, you're doing an awesome job. Whatever the hell happens in the next couple of weeks, I mean, just, like, don't listen to it. But, I mean, you guys are doing exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, didn't speak to Nick at that all that night during that holiday party. He went on vacation. I don't think we had a review until about the beginning of January. So, you know, Emma and I were both and like, you know, I was having these email correspondences with Nick throughout and basically just like, you know, all signs pointed to like Nick saying things along the lines of just like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to be watching Max like a hawk and just like, you know, he's going to, He's going to have to prove it to me that it's just like, you know, he's worth the job and stuff like that. And I, and I said to Emma, I'm like, you know, if we're going to have to fight for this stuff, I mean, is it really worth it? Because we know this guy can do his job. Mm -hmm. uh, he's proven it every way possible. Like, are we going to actually have why to go didn't, through another? Why didn't Nick believe in Max in the beginning? I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, here, here's the thing. It was just, there was. We're also dealing with budgets here in terms of, you know, certain people were getting reasons and certain people, like, were getting, you know, we had to move those numbers, just like any other company does. You have to make, you know, decisions about 
where you're going to put that money. And the news editor position in Nick's mind was basically just very, very important because he didn't like the way Gawker was covering Sandy Huggy. Um, you know, and my retort was basically just like, well, I really want to cover Hurricane Sandy, but your fucking company was underwater, so I didn't do it. But I did not. But so, I mean, you know, that was the first time where just like, you know, me and Nick were having like a little bit of squabbles, but I absolutely believed in Max. How old were you when you were um, squabbling with Nick Denton? If you don't mind me asking. How old am I? How old were you then when you were, um, when you pulled Max aside at the holiday party? I was 38, 37. Oh, you look so young, AJ. I know, and I beat the hell out of myself. I don't know why I just, like, you know, but my parents are very youthful looking, too. And they're 167 years old. Um, but uh, the, um, you know, the, the email correspondence with Nick while this is, like, over Christmas break and he's on his vacation, it's still pointing to that there's going to be, this is going to be contentious throughout the year. And I said to Emma, you know, going, before I went into the meeting with Nick, that, look, if this is something we're going to, have to be fighting for, you know, I don't think we're going to have to be fighting for this, but I think, you know, I'm going to have to step aside. Um, She agreed, you know, but instead I go into the interview with Nick expecting to kind of just like, you know, have some sort of negotiation. And Nick says to me, basically just like, you know, I just want to let you know, I, I love everything you've done with Gawker. I think it's like set up perfectly right now. You know, we had, a contractual agreement in terms of just like, you know, if I had hit certain numbers at the end of the year, I would get my bonus. He's like, you know, you got that. And, you know, I want to help you make Gawker the way you want it to be for the next year. And at that moment, I just said, you know, this is exactly how it should end. <laughs> I literally made the decision right there. And he knew it too, where it was basically just like, you know, they're, I didn't want an ending like Tommy and Max had, unfortunately. I didn't want an ending like Ruby Stern had. You know, I, and I absolutely had like a staff that, you know, there were six people that could run that site at that time. I mean, five of them are actually running sites. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it was in really, really good shape. And I think there's always a time when you're basically an editor of a Gawker site. And I made the same decision at Deadspin. Like once you realize that the thing is running without you and you're just going to get in the way, then, you know, you've done your job. And I think that just like, you know, ultimately just like, you know, there, Nick's basically telling you at one point that he absolutely loves Gawker, which as you see is just like one of these things that could change like any day. And, like, you know, he was going to get Max a news editor job. And, like, you know, I got to make the call to John Cook that night and offer him a job. And we set out the transitional plans. You know, that, that's, that's the perfect ending in terms of just, like, you know, what I wanted it to be. And ultimately, I mean, I had a lot of oversight in terms of just, like, getting Tommy to where, you know, he was and a lot, you know, Emma and all, you know, all these people that I mean, basically just like, you know, were, were people that, you know, I consider like, you know, close personal friends, but I mean, also just, you know, solve their kind of, you know, their legacy at Gawker I built from day one. So you get a lot of shit 
for during your reign at Gawker, but when I think back, I mean, while you were an editor there, the writers, I mean, it's like a golden period, like yours and John Cook's time at Gawker for me personally was like a golden period. Well, I mean, it was, a, you know, I, and thank you very much. I appreciate that. And it, but I mean, also like, and my, and I, and I did this at Dixon too, and it was just like, I mean, I, my role, I always thought the best way for me to kind of just like, you know, act as editor was front facing to actually do the stories that would like spark the most outrage so I can block the writers. <laughs> so the writers can do what they want. Piss off the commenters so the writers don't have to worry about it. You'd be the heel ultimately, just so like everybody else doesn't have to kind of just, you know, suffer for it day to day. And you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But my logic was ultimately just like, okay, yeah, I can be like, you know, the front facing jerk off, but I mean, just like, you know, ultimately just everybody that is working for Gawker.com can do what they need to do. And I'm not going to get in the way. Or like, you know, nobody else is going to get in the way. You know, if there's going to be an asshole at Gawker, it'll be me. And that's it. And, I feel like um, um, people that you might have been hated or not hated, but just like you said, maybe not the most popular editor <laughs> of all time. But I feel like since you've left, there's been enough time. All those like emotional feelings might have subsided for some people. I mean, there's I think I've read a few comments that seem to wax nostalgic for your time and people miss your banhammer stuff. So. Well, I didn't even have a band hammer or anything. Like, I mean, that wasn't even, I mean, all I did was, you know, the, I did the, this is the post thing, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was just, but like, I mean, you know, ultimately like I'm trying to kind of, which I think is just, I want you know, everybody that does read the site to like understand in terms of just like, you know, what the role of the editors are, what the role of the writers are, how they actually just like kind of just interact with each other every day how the stories are put out there, how everybody interacts with Nick Denton. You know, a lot of the public stuff that is out there, I mean, some of it's true, but I mean, a lot of it is a lot more thoughtful and <laughs> a lot less abusive than it appears. And, you know, they, I mean, the reality is, I mean, just like, I mean, there are a lot of people that are just like, you know, extremely sad that Tommy Craig's and Max are gone. And, you know, those are just like, you know, two of like you know, the best people that like not, and we're not even talking about just like, you know, kind of just adding value to like the site or the company. I mean, they helped a shit ton of writers get better and helped a shit ton of writers just like have careers. So, I mean, that's like ultimately just like, you know, what's lost here more than anything else. So we had all the stuff about just like, you know, the company and what the direction of the company is, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there are just like some real kind of like, you know, very, very personal feelings that and loyalty that people have towards them. And it's not just like about principles. It's almost out of just like genuine right. affection that you have for people that I mean, just, you know, you get to this, this special place where you have this complete autonomy and this complete freedom to be, you know, creative and Try to be journalists, <laughs> and it may never happen again, and it probably won't. I mean, just like that's how you unique an experience it is, and that's why it's almost just like you know, it's it's very very emotional, probably to a very negative degree for a lot of people, in terms of just like you know, 
if you have, whether or not you have a good or bad experience there, it sticks with you either way. It's kind of rare at media companies to have that type of experience. So, I mean, this is like, I, I, I just would hope that people in terms of just like, you know, reading the site, I mean, just to understand exactly just like, you know, most of the time, and I don't know who's going to be the next editor of Gawker. Who do you I mean, think should be? I don't I, I think you heard my opinion yesterday in terms of just like, you know, whatever the direction the company is goes. I mean, company's got to get through Hogan first. I have to get through Hulk Hogan first. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's got to get through Hulk Hogan first. We'll see where that lands. And then I think you'll see exactly just like, you know, what the new Gawker will be. So but, like in um, six months? Isn't the Hulk Hogan trial pushed back to like another six months, wasn't it? No, it's like October. October, right? oh, October. Maybe right now. I think so. But, I mean, you know, there's motions filed every day. But I really but, wish um, your trial was um, – there was like court TV inside. That would be so rad. That would be no. Oh no, it was going to be completely covered. I mean, the, like you know, cover like the, live the, tweets I mean, from the inside. Oh yeah, I mean eleven. I mean eleven. I mean, you know, I mean, I had. I mean, I had to go like you know buy two weeks worth of wardrobe. I mean, I had to like basically go through. I mean, you know, this thing's been going on for so long. I mean, it started out with like seven defendants. It came down to me and Nick. So mm. I mean, we were going to be sitting in Florida in July in like ninety-five degree heat. In front of a lot of people, like sitting there, like the Menendez brothers, like <laughs> <laughs> for 14 days straight, mm. like you know, against Hulk Hogan. I mean, it was like, I mean, this is stuff that you can't really prepare for in life. No. Um, so you know, you, you take that into account, you know, plus everything else that's going on here, and you know, I, where that ends up. I think that really has to kind of just like after after everyone's done that, then we can see what Gawker is. But you know, I think everyone that goes through that company has a nostalgia for the way it was or the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. But I think it's right now. I do think that there is an absolute sea change, at least for the coming year, in terms of just what type of company it'll be. Especially what Gawker. dot com will be, um, but I mean that could be. I mean that could be great too. I mean, but I mean, I, I think you know everyone that kind of just you know works for Gawker, you know, has their period where they're either trying to replicate or they're trying to create for their own. But like the ones who kind of just like you know have the experience that basically just like where it's a great one, you can't really plan for it. It just happens. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's just like you, you have sometimes you get like an, an editorial team of people who, you know, when you're all in the same room together, you look back on it like two years, you know, after the fact, you know, like, and then you see where all those people are, are now, you know, like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I was like actually just like, you know, going into like every single day and like working with these people who are very successful right now. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, where Gawker is at this point as a company is, you know, one that absolutely is going over a very public makeover. And, you know, I, that's, I think that's good for the company. I think it needs to happen. It's just a shame that basically just like, you know, there are two people and you know, probably others over time. We're not going to just, you know, walk out and protest, but it's, 
you know, the change is, it's the enthusiasm for the job, you know, may or may not be the same as it was when you first signed up for it. Okay. I'm going to ask you one final question. Cause I feel like I'm really grateful that you've even talked to me for this long, but, um, <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, but the, so the final question, this is a question I just ask Gawker commenters anyways, but I'm going to end it with you also. So using three separate adjectives, what would you want Gawker commenters to know about you? Like, how would you describe yourself? Yeah. Uh, Everyone chokes on this. Mm. Mm. Uh, let's see. Opaque. <laughs> I think, I'm trying to think of ones that basically that other people have called me that I actually agree with and understand. Um, All right, so that's where it gets cut off. If you don't remember his answers, just go back to the beginning where Kittens and Unicorns says them. Thanks for listening to this stupid podcast. I hope you enjoyed all that weird insider info that we were not expecting. Thanks again to AJ for reaching out to me. If anybody else wants to, it's Rob at undressingunderground.com or for Gawker stuff you can go straight to Kittens Unicorns her email is k-a-n-d-u at undressing underground or she's on Twitter if you search for Kittens Underground Kittens and Unicorns or if you know her on Gawker just reply to one of her posts um if you want to be on the Tuesday show to talk about non-Gawker stuff, also just reach out to me. If you have a short story poem or what have you that you want featured, you can email me at that address I already said I'm not going to repeat. Or you can leave it on the voicemail at 260-PUNK-POD. I never remember what numbers those are, but if you dial 260-PUNK-POD into your phone, it will work. Unless you have a rotary phone, I guess. I don't know if they have letters. Otherwise, feel free to check out other episodes of this thing. You can go back to last Wednesday or Thursday or whatever and check out Kittens and Unicorns talking to Gawker commenters Gravy Sauce and Jerry Netherlands. You can also check out my old talks with Milton Burl's Cock, uh, Cheerful Ex-Girlfriend, Milton Pearl's biracial son, the guy that was stalking Milton Pearl's cock and trolling him all over Gawker, and Fresh Beats, aka Three Fists Compromise. There's also chats with a webcam dominatrix, 
a conspiracy theorist podcaster that believes Alex Jones is actually working for the CIA or something. I don't know. I like that theory. Uh, it's better than the Bill Hicks one, I think. Or, uh, let's see, there's also the guy who writes noise music with ghosts. There's the guy who wrote the novel doesn't make any sense. There's the other noise musician. There's... Fan editors, earlier this week, listened to Q2 and TV's Frank talk about prequel, Star Wars prequel fan edits. I'm out of time. Not that it matters. Sorry this is so long. Subscribe on iTunes or whatever. Send us money through a website. Or if you want an immature podcast for Ratter, AJ, we can do that. Bye.